Definitely want to extend Christian greetings to each one. It's a real blessing to be here with you. I must say that we are somewhat getting used to the fact that we don't see some of you who we so regularly met with. And it's been a little bit something to get used to, but it is kind of special to be here and to be able to look into your faces again and see all of you that we do miss. We do miss, but God is good. One of the things I feel like has been a real positive, there's been some brothers who really stepped up to the plate, and though they weren't so active before, they all of a sudden felt needed, and they really made themselves available, which is a real blessing. And so as much as there is some difficulties that go with dividing, there are blessings that come out of it. I've sat in this room numerous times. Uh, some of our farming meetings were held here. And as I was sitting here again, I remembered of the times that we were all sitting here and the reps that were giving their sales pitches, why sometimes they said things that to many of the farmers were funny, but they weren't fit for true Christians to laugh at. And so that's something I thought of as I was sitting here. And uh, remembering some of those unholy jokes that may have been said at times. <clears throat> but we don't have that this morning, praise God. Okay, for our message, I'd like to consider a secret, consider what I would consider a bit of a secret, possibly, that many of God's people seemingly don't understand. I think uh, the world, in many respects, understands it, but too often by the outworkings of a church, of churches, I wonder sometimes if we don't understand this principle. And so we'd like to consider this secret. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 11 for an introduction to this secret. Genesis chapter 11. This is the account of the Tower of Babel. It says in Genesis 11 verse 1, And the whole earth was of one language and one speech. That simply means they were of one lip. There was only one language at the time. They all could understand each other. It wasn't like we have today. You meet many people where you can't communicate because they are of another language. Verse 2, And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city in its hour whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make us a name, let it, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built it. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech." So the Lord scattered them broad from thence upon the face of all the earth. They left off to build the city. Therefore, the name of it called of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So here we have this account. It says of these people that they were heading from the east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and there they dwelt. Now it's interesting that these folks traveling east, they found this plain. They decide they're going to build here. And if from verse 3 we see it wasn't the best place to stop and build simply because apparently in this plain there were no stones. They didn't have stones to build, so they had to make their own bricks. And so they made their own bricks for stone, because they didn't have stone, and they used some kind of mud, something, uh, slime it calls it. 
that they used for mortar. So I don't know exactly why they stopped at this spot and decided to plant themselves here. But they decided to do that. And they decided to build a tower. There were three reasons given here for building the tower. One of them seems possibly to be a design as an affront to God himself. It says in verse 4, they're going to build a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Now we take from that, possibly, that it was a direct affront against God. In other words, we don't need God. We are going to live life for ourselves. The second thing we see in this verse is they were going to make a name for themselves. A huge building that would last for many years that would be a landmark or an identity mark that even after they would pass off the scene, they would always be remembered by this great tower they were building. The third thing that we see here, it was to unite as one and to kind of keep this thing together. Uh, They say there in verse Four, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And so I believe these are possibly the three reasons, especially given here, of why they decided to build this tower. Now, if we go to back to chapter 10, verse 8 to 10, we get a little bit of a glimpse into, into a little more of this tower and maybe who was the leader of the tower. Uh, of the building or of the leader of these people in chapter 10 of Genesis verses 9 and 10. It says he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And Erech and Akkad and Kelna in the land of Shinar. And so we see the possibility there, the connection there, that it probably was Nimrod who was the leader of this thing. And if you do any study on Nimrod, you soon find out that he was anything but a godly man, very ungodly man. Uh, And so it makes it definitely very possible that this was designed as an affront to God himself. It was possibly Nimrod's desire to make a name for himself. And definitely, I think he knew and purposed to keep the people together because he would have a great and mighty group, army, whatever, if he can keep all these people with him. Now, in verse uh, 5, it says about the Lord coming down. He came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built it. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. They have all but all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Verse 6 is very significant. The people here are one. They have one language, and with their common language and their political unity, nothing, God said, there is nothing that will be impossible to them. This they began to do. They began to build this tower. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Now, I wonder if that's actually so. Did God really mean what he said? He said, these people are a unified bunch of people. They all speak the same language. They all have the same purpose. They all have the same goal. They have the same thing in mind. This they began to do, and there is nothing that will be restrained from them. And so God said, we're going to mess this thing up for them. And so he confounded the language and all of a sudden it put a stop to the whole building process. And they were scattered across the earth there at that time. It seems when a group of people get a common vision and unite with one common effort to make something happen, the possibilities are immense. Right now in America, in our political system, the politics down at Washington have a hard time passing agendas. Why do they have a hard time passing agenda? Why did the government shut down for a while? Because of the bipartisan unit, uh, the political parties. You have the Democrats and you have the the, um, Republicans. And the thing is so mixed that they have a real hard time passing anything. There isn't unity. And so they have a difficult time passing the different agendas they want to pass. 
The one is fighting against the other, the other against the one. I thought of Hitler. Hitler had a purpose to rule the, war, rule the world. And how did he do that? How did he make such an impact in the world back there in the uh, early to mid-1900s? One of them was he brainwashed the German people to believe his cause. He brainwashed them to support his vision and to unite and make it happen even at the cost of their own lives. Those men that Hitler brainwashed were so dedicated to the cause that there was nothing going to stop those men. They were so united with his cause and with his purpose. A lot of people lost their lives over it. A lot of people lost their lives over it. I understand that Hitler grew up in Austria. He was German-speaking, and Austria was German, uh, German-speaking land. But uh, Hitler was a German loyalist. There in Austria, the parliament recognized eight different languages to be acceptable or to be as official. And this is what Hitler said about the Austrian parliament. He said this, No form of government can last if it treated persons of different nationalities as equals. Do you see his mind? He said we've got to be one common, united person, even the language. Because he had an agenda and he wanted to rule the world. Napoleon, he was another man who wanted to rule the world. And there again, you had a man who brainwashed his army, even to a point that it is said that he could actually ask his army to march off a cliff and they would do it. Now, I don't know if he ever asked them to do that, but that was the saying that went with how brainwashed he had his men. Today, we have a push for one world currency. We know that there is a strong movement for a one-world government. Is it possible that those in political parties today who want to rule the world know that if they can get one language and one currency, they can rule the world? That's a possibility. Definitely a possibility. What I'd like to do today is show us that as Christian believers, God has set up the church to be so one and united, so one and united, that there is nothing that is impossible. And I think we can take a few lessons from the world around us. I chose to title my message, United We Stand, Divided We Fall. That is, of course, an American slogan, and maybe more than just an American slogan, the government or the army slogan. United we stand, divided we fall. I'd like to look at a few more things as we move through Scripture and on into the New Testament. But I wanted to pull out a few other examples in the Old Testament where it seems that God knew, or God at least considered this whole idea of unity as something really important. He has used it numerous different times. One in particular that I would think of is when they were called, the children of Israel were called to go in and take Jericho down. How did they do it? Unified bunch of people doing the same thing. Now, is that what brought the walls down? No, that's not what brought the walls down. But God, through His power and Spirit, worked through these people, the unified effort, to bring down the walls of Jericho. What did they do? Everybody marched around the city, following the priest. Everybody marched around the city one time each day for six days. The seventh day, they walked and marched around the city seven times. And it was said when the priests blow their trumpets, everybody was supposed to shout, I think it was. All in unison. And as that unison of shouting and trumpet blowing happened, the walls all went flat. I thought of the other time, another time, when God called Gideon to go and to destroy the Midianites. And so Gideon, 
He called the people. He rallied the people. And 32,000 people came and rallied around him. And God said, we're not taking so many people because if we take so many, the people will vaunt themselves and become proud and say, we've done it. And so he said, everybody that's fearful, you can go back home again. And it says 22,000 people went home. That's over two-thirds of the bunch went home. And I could just imagine they were probably shouting and leaping because they were fearful. They were scared. And so they went home probably shouting and leaping, glad to get out of the thing. And so 10,000 people. And God said, this is still too many. And so God takes them down, uh, tells um, Gideon to take them down to the water. And he said, I'm going to show you who doesn't go along. And so these people come to the water and they're supposed to drink. And so some get down on their hands and knees and they drink just out of the water like a horse would. Others dip their hands in and bring it up. And God said, the ones who bring the water up and lap it, those are the ones that you may take along with you. And it was only 300 of the 10,000. One of the reasons possibly was that the ones who, who came and they got down on their hands and knees to slack their thirst, they were probably thinking of what's ahead of them, the difficult situation. And they know they may not have a drink for a long time. And so they were so uh, inward concerned that they got down there and they sucked up as much water as they could. The others, they lapped up a few laps and they went on because they had a mission to, a mission to fulfill. And so here again, God may have weeded out more of the fearful ones. Well, then God says to Gideon, now if you're fearful, if, if you're afraid, then you go down to the camp at night. I want to give you something that will really boost your courage. And so he goes down at the camp at night with his friend, and they walk in and they hear some men talking. And these men are saying that, hey, he said to his friend, I had a dream. And in my dream, I saw this barley loaf. Now, can you imagine a barley loaf? Something light and fluffy. A barley loaf come rolling down the hill. It hit a tent. It smashed the tent. It pulled the stakes out. It ripped the strings. And it, it, it destroyed the people. And the other man said, it's nothing but Gideon and the sword of the Lord. And Gideon was, of course, so encouraged. And so he goes back. And what does he do? He gets them to take clay pictures with a torch in it. Everybody had a clay picture with a torch in it and a trumpet in the other hand. Now they're going to go to battle. Everyone did this. He mobilized them. Three sections. One third in each side of this camp of the, of the um, Midianites. And in the middle of the night, he said, when... My men and myself, when I and my men crash our clay pitchers and we blow our trumpets, everybody else is supposed to do the same thing. And so they all work together in unison. Unison. They all did the same thing. I don't know what they did. Maybe each soldier on either side, they took their pots and they banged them against each other and they broke and all of a sudden this torch flared up and it got all light all around. And these poor Midianites, they were sleeping and they woke up to shouting trumpets, light and everything else. And they were so confused that they started killing each other. United bunch. They were united. They were together. It's not too hard to understand, for me to understand, what kind of confusion that put the Midianites into. I remember the day when I was probably about 10 or 12 years old. We boys had this thing of sleeping in a tent. We would sleep in a tent 10 months out of the year. Some of us were brave enough to do it year-round. Uh, the coldest I slept out was 13 below zero. Anyhow, we slept out in this tent. At the same time, once a year, just about a half a mile across the field, there was a VFW. And the Amish from Lancaster County, the, the wild Amish, this is not reflecting on the Amish in general, but the wild Amish that drove cars and uh, drank and those kind of things, they come back once a year and rent this VFW. And I tell you what, rock music as loud as can be, blasting away, drinking, drunk. It was interesting to drive by there the next day or drive down the road. Sometimes you see cars stuck in the mud in fields and it was just chaotic it was a mess one time the police came in and got 60 underage drinkers and the neighbors who were ungodly who drank they said i can't believe the amount of drink those guys drink over there it's terrible anyhow this whole thing struck fear as a young boy in my heart because these people were wild 
they actually, sometimes we would, they would come halfway across the fields and we would in next morning find a whole pile of uh, beer bottles laying in our field. And the hollering and screaming and the rock music and stuff, it was just scary. And so there you lay at night and you'd hear this booming away and these ungodly people. I actually had a cousin and his friend who decided they're going to go in and see what it's like in, in there. And so they went and those men almost lost their lives. Those young men who were drunk were after them for their life. And so, of course, this was scary. And so I had these dreams of these Amish drinking in our fields and one day ending up at our, our property. And so one night, in the middle of the night, I woke up to hear right outside the tent, hollering, excited voices. And I tell you what, I think that's as close as I came to dying if I've ever done it. I was so scared. I was beyond fright. I couldn't even move. I was immobile. Only to find out the next morning that my brother came home late at night. He brought his friends along. They got out of the car. They're like, what do we hear? And they thought it's right up behind our buildings. And they were all excited, hollering to each other, running up behind the buildings. So it was not. But I know the fear that went through me. And I could just only imagine the Midianites waking up and hearing the trumpets blow and hearing the hollering, the sword of the Lord. And seeing all the light, they just like, you know, these were men who knew how to fight. And they were men who were quick with the sword. And so they just started killing each other just so quick. United we stand, divided we fall. I'd like to take us over to the New Testament. Look at a number of verses. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to consider this whole idea of unity. The need of unity. And see what God thinks of it. In Acts chapter 1 verse 14. It is talking about those that were in the upper room. It says in Acts 1.14, these all continue with one accord. What does that mean? That means these all continued with one purpose in mind. These all continued with one thing in mind. In prayer, in supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So here we have this group of people. They were here and it was unified. They had one purpose in mind. They had one thing in mind. They had one agenda. And what happened? Peter rises up and says, hey, somebody got to take place of Judas. And they had an ordination. They chose a man to replace. Beautiful, beautiful outcome of their unity and oneness. Let's go over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with what? One accord. They were all with one accord in one place. That simply means they all have, were there with the same purpose and the same thing in mind. And look what happened. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. A united bunch. And things happened. I wondered why God thought it was important to say that they were a one accord. Let's go over to Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says, And they continuing daily with what? One accord. With the same purpose. The same thing in mind. They were a unified bunch. It says, they all with one accord... They continuing daily with one accord in the temple. What were they doing? Breaking bread from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so here again we see a group of people who were a one accord. The same passion, the same purpose, the same thing in mind. And look what happened. They were all happy. They were praising God. They had favor with the people around them. People looked on and said, that is something that looks beautiful. And it said, there were people being saved daily, being added to the church. What a tremendous impact on a group, on a society where there was a group of people who were unified. Acts chapter 4 and verse 24 Acts chapter 4 and verse 24. This is where Peter and John were 
imprisoned and were let go again. And in verse 24, verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Grant unto thy servant that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Here, they have a, here we have a united bunch of people that are praying. They were all of one accord. They were of the same mind. They were of the same purpose. And look what happened in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of what? One heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. We continue reading. But again, I'm not sure why it's significant that God in these numerous different points made sure that we understood that these people were together. They were of one accord. They had the same mind and they had the same purpose in mind. Let's go over to Acts 5.12 yet for our last one. There would be a few more, but I'm not going to go further than this. <clears throat> Acts 5.12, this is right after Ananias and Sapphira were, fell over dead because of their lie. In verse 12, it says that by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And now there's the next two verses are in parentheses. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Interesting. There were a lot of things happening here. There were a lot of people that were getting healed. There were miracles happening there were wonders and signs. One of the things was that they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, there's no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. And so we see here a group of people in Solomon's porch. They were a one accord. They were unified. They had the same purpose and they had the same things in mind. And God was doing great things. People that were looking on because of some of the things that are happening and have happened, they were very cautious about actually joining this group. This was really something mighty was happening. They were very cautious. Very cautious. It says that believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. Now I'd like to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. And look at this idea of unity as it is given to the church. We see this idea of, in the Old Testament, how God used, uh, in the Old Testament where God said, if these people are unified with one language and one purpose and one thing in mind, there is nothing that's going to be restrained from these people. We saw also that numerous times throughout the Old Testament, God used a unified bunch of people to Allow his power to flow through them. We see in the book of Acts, the beginning of the church, that numerous times, very specifically, we are told that the group of people and things were happening, but this group of people, they were unified. They had the same purpose, they had the same thing in mind. So they were together. Now here we come to Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Here we have the word unity. Endeavoring in lowliness and humility, endeavoring to have a spirit of unity. 
Later on, we will see a couple of verses down where as different men are given to the church for pastors and leaders and such, that it's to pull the church together in the unity of the faith. Right here now, we have the unity of the Spirit, which is, I think, speaking to a church that isn't unified. You need to strive for a spirit of unity as you are taught and encouraged and exhorted until you come together in the unity of faith. So here we have it. Let's look at this unity. There is a good cause for unity because, verse 4, there's only one body. There is only one body. There's only one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. There we have three words, all the same. One, one body, one spirit, and one hope of your calling. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he let captivity captive, gave gifts unto men. And these gifts are described in verse 11. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why did he give them? He gave them for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come. In the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here we see that God is interested in making a group of believers unified. And he states the fact that there are many things that warrant the desire for unity. There is only one body. There is only one Lord. There is only one spirit. There is only one hope of your calling. There is only one God and Father. He's encouraging us to have the spirit of unity as we are taught and trained, encouraged and exhorted till we all come to the unity of the faith. Very important. Now, let's see what happens when a church has leaders. When a church has leaders and they're doing their job, what happens? That reminds me. I was just talking to a a young man not too long ago. He started attending a group of believers, and he was all excited about it. He was all excited of the good things that are happening. And I said, yes, I'm glad for you. But I said, I understand that the group doesn't believe in leadership, ordained leadership. And it was like, well, no, he says, when a church becomes so structured, uh, they become divisive. And so we just feel like that kind of structure would only be detrimental to what we have going for us. And I said, you know, too often that's true. But I said, the Bible gives specific direction. Specific direction. I don't care how good a fellowship you have going. If you're not going to follow the word of God, it's not going to be blessed of God. And so we're given prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, apostles for the perfecting of the saints. And I think it's very important. What are the things that come out of that? That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, by the cunning craftsmen, whereby they lie in wait to deceive you. You know how it is. There are deceivers who are coming in and they're giving lies. And I, I, I tell you, some, some of us have bought into that. We know that. There are some who have bought into lies from these deceivers. And they're going out from among us because they believe the lie. One of the things that the unity of faith, the building of the body is to do, is so that we aren't easily tossed to and fro. We know what we're, where we're going. We know what we believe. We are standing on the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're not getting thrown about by every wind and doctrine. But, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things. Not just some things, in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, it's fitly joined together. It's compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so, as we come to the unity of faith, we have every member of the body having a part to play in the body exercising itself and blessing itself, one member 
blessing the other member and encouraging it. And what actually happens is the body gets to a place where it is able to maintain health in among themselves. One brother exhorting, another encouraging, another challenging, and so forth. And the body actually becomes very healthy. The whole point is unity. It's very important. Unity. Let's go on over to Matthew 18. And this is actually where I got the burden of the message. I have lately been pondering the, the uh, church discipline. And in Matthew 18, it gives us the practical steps to church discipline. Matthew 18, verse 15. It says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. In other words, you have somebody who sinned, sinned against you, whatever the case might be. You need to go to them and talk to them. Praise God, if they hear you, you've gained your brother. Now, if they don't hear you, it gives us the next step. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. In other words, get some others who know and understand the same thing. They're concerned about the same thing. That way, every word may be established. There's no good reason why this person won't hear. Now, if he doesn't hear then it's time to tell it to the church. If he doesn't hear the church, then you need to consider him a heathen and a publican. Now, the verses right after that have always been very hard for me to understand. But it says in verse 18, right after it says, you need to consider that person a heathen man and a publican. It says, verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, the Jewish people knew about this this concept of binding and loosing. Binding simply meant they counted something lawful, it was bound. They counted something unlawful, it was loosed. And so when, the, uh, when, when, when Matthew was writing this, the Jewish people understood. And I think the way we interpret this today is that when we holy, when God's people, the body of God, Christ, the people wholly follow God's commands. When they wholly follow the details of the word of God, God will back it up. And so if a body of believers come to a place and the church, this man has been brought into them and said, this man is living in sin, they won't hear it. And if the church says, God says, such a man should be put out or be considered a heathen and a publican, when they do that, God will honor that in heaven. And then you have that person where they come to repentance. And so we lose them. We say, welcome back again. A sinner has repented. And so we lose them. And God honors that in heaven. But this has been so abused by so many people in using it in ways that are not scriptural. We have to maintain scriptural um, accountability when we do these kind of things. But it's interesting. Verse 19, again, now this is following. This binding and loosing, again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. That's amazing. That reminds me of what God said to those there building the Tower of Babel. You know, these people are one. And if they continue what they're doing, there is nothing that will be restrained from them. Here we have... The encouragement that if two of us, or if ten of us, or if twenty of us, or if thirty of us agree on anything, again, in the context of God's word. There are men going around and they are speaking things here and there. It's just, it's just foolish. God has nothing to do with it. But when we take the word of God and we say, God in his word said this. And you have two people who agree that that is God's will. My Bible says it will be done unto them. That is an amazing feat. Amazing feat. Verse 24, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And so back again to this counting somebody as a heathen and a publican. 
If two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst. If there's two or three who say that person, according to the word of God, is living in sin, we're going to treat them as a heathen and a publican. God says, I agree with them. I agree with them. Now, one of the things that was a bit of a challenge to me is to consider, which happens way too often, where a church is not unified on these kind of things. And I wondered how much that actually hinders what we're trying to do. The need to be unified. The need to have unity of the faith and be together. I think, and I'm afraid, there are way too many churches, too many of our churches, that do not have an effective power because they're not unified. This one thinks this, this one thinks that. And you know what? We actually think it's okay. We think it's okay. I'm not so sure if it is okay. Let's look at just a couple more areas, and then we're going to do some, try to touch on some practical things here yet. John 17. Let's see what happens when God's people are unified. John 17, 21 to 23. John 17, 21, that they all may be one. That gives the same idea as unity, as being of one accord, having the same purpose, the same thing in mind, that they all may be one as what? As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. Okay, there's our standard for oneness. We need to have the same oneness among us as the oneness between the Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's oneness. That is oneness. Let's see what happens. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, I in thee, that they also may be one in us. So as God and Jesus are one, so all of us, three, lined up. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the body, all functioning as one. And then what happens? That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So here we have the biggest and most aggressive witnessing tool you will ever get. How many churches today will sit with this unity and they have all these mission programs going to try to win the lost? And we missed the most important one. I've really been challenged as I was studying for this. Really challenged. I have not done well. As I observed my own life, and I look out over my past, I have not done well. I have been very smitten. It's going to be different from this point on. I have been so deeply challenged as I was studying for this. Verse 22, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I don't know what this glory is. But God said, I've given them. Jesus said, I've given them something. I've given them glory. You can tell me what that is. I'm not sure. But whatever that is, if it's the power of the Holy Spirit or whatever it is, that grace that flowed out of heaven has flowed into their lives to make them what? One. One. Together. Verse 23, I in them, thou in me. Again, it's not a bunch of people who are just trying to be unified for unification unification's sake, or uniformity, or those kind of things. This is the direct connection between our Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the body. Everything directly lined up. I and them, thou and me, that they may be perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, and as, as thou hast loved me. I wonder why he said it two times. A little bit different, but it was said two times. I think he was trying to get a message across in his prayer here. I believe it was a burden that he had on his heart, the Lord Jesus Christ. Unity has a powerful witnessing effect. I don't think we understand the dimensions of power that that brings. 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together with grace of life. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. Again, where two or three are gathered in my name, where two or three ask anything, it will be done to my Father. And where you have a husband and a wife who are not unified. They're not in unity. 
their prayers aren't very effective. Again, the need for unity. And how many couples do I know that they know they're not unified, they know they should do something about it, but they're never very challenged to make it happen. And they live life like that. The need for unity. The need for unity. What I'd like to do now in being a little more practical is take a number of verses in the New Testament. And I'm not going to turn to them myself. I have them wrote down here. And I would encourage you, if there's any doubt in what I say, you write down that reference, you go back and look. You need to be Bereans. But in Romans 15.5, it says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be what? Like-minded. Think the same. Think the same. Have the same purpose in mind. Now the God of patience and consolation, I don't know why he puts that in there. It's going to take a lot of patience for a bunch of people to become unified. It's going to take a lot of comfort, a lot of consolation. But the whole point is that he might grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to whose standard? According to Christ Jesus. That you may with how many minds? One. Just one. That you may with one mind and one mouth. Glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's pretty special to bring glory and honor to God. And we think of many ways that that's done. Too many times it's personal. But here it's corporate. Where a group of believers have the same mind and with one mind and with one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is glorified. Now, what is this referring to? You need to look. This is Romans 15, the first number of verses. I believe he's referring to Romans 14. Romans 14, there was a bit of a discrepancy where you had somebody who was very sensitive and for whatever reason, their past, there were certain things they wouldn't eat. They felt like if they ate those things, they would sin. And Paul is challenging them not to judge each other, not be too hard on each other, but to respect one another for those kind of things. And also the holy days. Some people felt like they could keep every day alike. Some had to keep special feast days, those kind of things. And Paul was warning them, don't be too hard on each other. Don't be too hard on each other. And that's where we stop. That's where we stop. And we say, oh, well, if you want to think different on that than me, well, that's okay. I mean, just go to Romans 14. Well, just go a little further to Romans 15. And it says, and Paul's, I believe, real heart is that you would be like-minded. And that with one mouth, with one mind, and with one mouth, you would glorify God. I think we stop short of Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. And we're satisfied with Romans 14. Oh, yeah, I realize that my brother... He, for whatever reason, and I might have a condescending view of him that, oh my, he can't do this. Ought to be ashamed of himself. Paul says, don't you talk like that about your brother. You need to be careful. You don't want to cause him to sin. But his real heart, I think Paul's real heart is that you would all, with one mouth, with one mind, with one mouth, you would glorify God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think our attitude is too often, live and let live. First Corinthians 1.10 Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all, what? Speak the same thing. That you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. Well, that's pretty strong. I think that's really strong. That you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, the way you think, and in the same judgment you give. So that means, and the challenge is to me, I'm sitting in a brother's meeting. I want to be able with one voice to say, we're not going there. Here's a Bible principle of truth. We're not going there. That we could all with one mind, oh, what does it say? That there we would all speak the same thing, that there would be no divisions among you, and that you'd be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That would be beautiful. That's the kind of brother's meeting I want to sit in. 
Let's keep the unity of the Spirit until we come to what? The unity of the faith. And so God has put pastors, teachers, and all of those in place to bring us to that place. Well, Paul's appeal for unity, he was challenging them about a divisive spirit. If you remember 1 Corinthians 1.10, one of the big factions in the church was that they liked certain people much better than others. Too often, we think that's probably okay. If I love this brother or this sister and I stick up for them and I'm behind them, you know, and we kind of think that's okay. Well, you know, you're just going to have that in a fellowship. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Let's keep the unity of the spirit. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Paul's appeal was for unity. Don't you have this respect of persons. And so the challenge that came to me was, you know what that means? There's probably some brothers and some sisters at Harmony Christian Fellowship that I need to make special effort to get close to. I don't want a divisive spirit. I don't want to be a respecter of person. Philippians 1.27, it says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. I'm listening. Paul says, I'm listening to the youth people over there at Philippi, and this is what I'm listening for. That you stand fast in one spirit. You know, we heard it. There's only one spirit. God gave one Holy Spirit, not a bunch of them. That you stand fast in one spirit. These are the things he's listening for. And also with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, in this chapter... Paul was hitting clearly on wrong motives of some believers. And you can look, Philippians 1.27, if you just look ahead, what was happened? Paul was in prison. Paul was sitting in prison. He was chained. And all his brothers, his brothers who, who some of them, a few of them were all encouraged to get out there and preach the gospel. Paul can't be out there. I need to be out there. The word needs to be getting out. But there were some other brothers who were out there saying, hmm. Paul's in prison. I'm going to rise up to the top. I'm going to sit in the limelight. And Paul says, I'm listening. I am listening for something. I am listening for this. And that is that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the gospel. They were striving together for the gospel, but they weren't together. Some of them were doing it for these motives. Some of them were doing for these motives. Some were doing it with right motives. Some were doing it with wrong motives. Paul said, I'm listening. I want to hear. Uniformity. Some of them were jealous of the position that Paul had. And the assembly, the Philippi assembly, must put away their petty grievances, jealousies, and disunity. You cannot, and we cannot, by fighting among ourselves, expect the furtherance of the gospel. We need to put away these things, become like-minded, and we need to put our shoulders together, brother to brother, sister to sister, and work for the kingdom. Philippians 2 and verse 2. Again, another verse here in Philippians. I'm going to turn to that. If you want to turn to that one, you may. It's a little longer one. And we don't want to miss what Paul is saying here. Philippians 2, verse 1, it says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, of any comfort of love, of any fellowship of the Spirit, of any bowels of mercy. That talks to me like unity. If there's any consolation in Christ, if that consolation, that comfort or encouragement is moving out, the comfort is moving out, there's fellowship of the Spirit, there's bowels and mercies. That talks to me of unity. He says, fulfill ye my joy. This is what's really going to make me happy, Paul said. 
And watch this. Fulfill ye my joy, that you be what? Like-minded. Okay, you have all these things that are flowing out of the Spirit of God into the fellowship. And you see these things working. Paul says, you want to really make me happy. You want to fill my heart with joy. Number one, be like-minded. Think alike. Having the same love. Number one, that you be like-minded. Number two, that you have the same love. Interesting. The same love towards one believer as shown towards another. Have the same love. Or maybe it means have the same kind of love that Jesus Christ had. So the encouragement here, Paul says, you, you want to make me happy? We have all these blessings flowing out of heaven through the Holy Spirit. You just allow them to flow and you just love everybody the same. No respecter of persons. Being of one accord, that's simply united in the same spirit. It's talking about kinship. Being of one accord, of one mind, the whole church is to have the same values and goals. Whoa. That's taken it pretty far. When I joined Harmony Christian Fellowship, I never intended to really become that close. I want to maintain my individual identity. Really, that's not what Paul's talking about. The whole church, of one mind, the whole church is to have the same values and goals. Number four, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. You want, you want to make me happy? Paul says, you want to fill my heart with joy? Then don't do anything through strife or vainglory. Don't do anything for selfish ambition or conceit. Number five, let each esteem the other better than themselves. That is to regard my brother or my sister as more important than myself. And number six, look every man on the things of others. This is all about like-mindedness. Look every man on the things of others. That is, each is to be just as concerned for the needs and problems of his brother as he is of his own affairs. Talk about unity. If we could just take this one and we could live this out. There are six points here. We are to be, have the same love we're to be a one accord. We're to be a one mind. We're not to do anything through strife or vain glory, but we're supposed to do it in lowliness of mind. And we're to look every man on the things of others. That's like-mindedness. Paul says, all these blessings are flowing out of heaven. And therefore the church, now you fulfill my joy. You let all these things be a part of you. One more. Philippians 3, 15 and 16. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. If anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. That's a little, just almost sounds a little sarcastic of Paul. He says, you know what? You need to think the same way I do. If you think different, God will reveal it to you. I'm not sure that I can go that far. But Paul could. Let us therefore as many be perfect. If you think that you've got it figured out. You're perfect. You, you, you understand things. You need to think like I do. If you're otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk with the what? The same rule. You carry the same yardstick as your brother does. You carry the same word of God and the same truth as your brother. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Unity. Time after time after time after time again. The appeal for unity. And what was the Apostle Paul saying here? The Apostle Paul was just recounting prior to this of his pedigree and everything he had going for him under the Jewish system. He said, I had to let all of those things go. I had to put them behind. I had to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. I had to believe that He is the only one. He is the answer. There is nothing else that can save me. And He has put Jesus Christ first. He has made a mark out there, or Jesus Christ is His mark, and He is intending to press for that mark. He says, if you have any other ideas, God is going to reveal to you, you need to look at it the same way I do. And that simply is, 
We need, to, we need to continue to be united on the fact that a soul needs to be saved. There needs to be repentance. They need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to be restitution. And they need to walk in holiness and godliness and all the rest of the gospel. We need to be united on those things. Every one of us need to be pressing for the prize of the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. We need to be unified on those things. So easy to have folks who are not committed to pressing for the mark. And they're entangled with the world and the things of the world. You know, Paul says, if you have any other ideas about this Christian life, I'm going to allow God to reveal that to you. I have one more yet. First uh, Peter three eight. I thought it was my last one, but First Peter three eight says, "Finally, be ye all of one mind. Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous." What does he mean by finally? Finally, be ye all of one mind. Now again, just back up in First Peter a chapter or two, and you will find out what he's saying. Finally, okay, I said all these things to you. Finally, this is my heart. Be like-minded. And what are some of those things? Well, we go back into 1 Peter chapter 1, and what verse is it? It talks about you are a peculiar people, and you're supposed to be zealous of good works. We need to be agreed on that. We are set apart. We are not a part of the kingdoms of this world. We are a citizen of heaven. We are strangers and pilgrims. We need to be united on that point. We need to be united on that point. Another thing. We need to be united on how we relate to the government. He said we're supposed to pray for them. We're supposed to honor the king. And he gives some very practical direction as far as relating to those in government. He says, finally, be ye all like-minded. You know, that's a little difficult. How do we relate to our government? How do we relate to our, uh, our county ordinances? Some of them, as far as I'm concerned, somebody wasn't thinking when they put them in place. They weren't thinking. There was like one rule for everyone, and it doesn't work. And there's times I've been tempted to run over them. I had a septic system problem. Well, I didn't have a septic system problem. Our house, it had the old system where it had a, I don't know, 300-gallon tank underground. It went in that baffle and right into the creek. It was like that for all the years. And so a number of years ago, they were talking about putting sewer into the into our community. It would never reach our farm, but they said they're going to look at everybody within the vicinity. At their... And so I was talking to the neighbor man. He says, don't worry about it. He says, I'll give you one. He says, you're out back. No one will see. I'll come in with my backhoe. I'll make you a real septic system. I told him, I can't do that. Now, I ended up spending, and it ain't near what you would today, I ended up spending $10,000, and the brother that made my sand mound actually did me a favor and did it cheaper than what I would have had to pay for it. Today, it's fifteen dollars to $20,000. Where I could have made a system that works, I could have done it, nobody would have known it. We need to be of the same mind, how we relate to our government, submission to their ordinances. I don't. I believe there's times to make appeals, and I don't know what to do with some of them that just don't don't make any sense. I don't know. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but we need to be together. Third thing, Paul might have been relating to was how employees relate to their employers. You need to think alike. You need to be like-minded. I don't want anybody here wasting time on the job. I don't want anybody here dishonoring and disrespecting their boss. And let's, go, let's be together on these things. How the employee is to relate to the employer. He also talked about suffering and the need to suffer willingly if it's done for Christ Jesus. And we need to be together on that. Another thing that we need to be together on right before he said this was finally, uh, right before he said, finally be ye all like-minded. He was given directions to husbands and wives. And we need to be together on that too. How a husband is supposed to love his wife and how a wife is supposed to submit to her husband. 
And then when you have problems and then different people look into it, this one has this idea, that one has that idea, we need to be like-minded. We will let it at that. In closing, I'd like to read a few verses out of Psalms 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. What a beautiful description. I can only imagine if enough of oil was poured on Aaron's head that it went down through his beard, actually down through his clothing, dripped on his boots or a skirt of his garments, down to the bottom of the skirt of his garment. It must have had a beautiful smell. That's what I want. Unity among the believers that if somebody walks in, they say, this smells good. This smells good. And so the challenge is unity of the Spirit till we all come to the unity of the faith. And what we kind of looked at in the New Testament, all those practical things, I just brought them out to show that sometimes we say we major on the minors and uh, minor on the majors. And somehow we think that if we get a few major points the same, the new birth, the Trinity, some of those things straight, these other things really don't matter. I'm not so sure that that's what God had in mind. And I'm not so sure that's what Paul had in mind. Over and over and over again. I want you to be like-minded. I want you to think the same way. I want you to come to the same conclusion. That is the point. And Brother John and Brother Earl and Brother Brian and, and other brothers here who are teachers, that's what they're there for. To help us come together. And so from now on, when I'm sitting and I'm listening to someone preach, I'm not going to be so quick to say, well, that's their idea. I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, you know what, if I'm going to, I need to know if that's truth. And I'm going to be a Berean. If it is truth, I need to put myself there. If I don't agree with it, I can't just live and let live. I will come and I will say, teach me. I don't see it this way, but teach me. And if we have a whole fellowship like that, with a heart to learn and to unite, it could be beautiful. And thus we can have the blessing of unity. So God bless you all today. Appreciate it being with you. And uh, I think I've learned a tremendous amount in studying this. So God bless you. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again today for your word of God. And as we look the whole way back into the Old Testament, right into the New Testament, we kind of can see your heart. Thank you so much for making the church one body and for giving one spirit and for giving and for having one Heavenly Father, one Lord Jesus, one baptism, one faith. Oh, I pray, God, that we could follow as you have encouraged us to throughout the New Testament to be like-minded, to think the same, to have the same purposes. So help us, Lord. Bless this congregation. May you unite them together as such an army that everyone living in this vicinity would know that something has happened over there at Schaeferstown. Bless them to that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.